Hi everyone, I'm Jenny. Hi, I'm Jenny. Good evening. That was just such a nice welcome. Thank you um, uh, for inviting me. Uh, Mary Jane asked me to speak at the last assembly, the last September assembly. Um, and um, I was like, oh, well, sure, you know, thanks. And then, you know, around Christmas, I was like, oh, that's right, I have to speak next, you know, next month. And, and then um, the other day, I was like, oh, my God, I'm talking. <laughs> like, yeah, I wonder what I'm going to say. And I remember I was repeating a story um, earlier about that mutual friend we have, Pat. She's moved on. Um, and uh, uh, actually was my sponsor. And... Um, and I remember saying the first time I spoke, my gosh, what, what am I going to talk about? She says, well, you're pretty sick, and you got to Al-Anon, so I'm sure there's a story in there somewhere. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> so uh, here I am. Um, so thank you again for the invitation. Uh, it's nice to see everyone. It's nice to see that you made it all through this lovely weather that we're having. So a um, little bit about uh, how it was what happened, and a little bit about what it's like to today, um, which I am so glad that I get to stand here and talk about um, what it is like today, and I get to fast forward, and I don't live a lot of the uh, the ways that I'm going to talk about tonight anymore. I uh, get a new way of living. So I, uh, my home group... I'm sorry, I'm kind of not, I don't feel like I'm talking about here. My home group is uh, New Beginning, uh, Tuesday night at Bethany in Loves Park, Illinois. And Loves Park, Illinois is right outside of Rockford, um, basically from Rockford. I live a little north of the city, so anytime you're in Rockford or Loves Park, you go to a meeting, look me up, I'm on the back of the Ames again. So give me a call, love to see you. Um, Briefly, I grew up, I'm from the south side of Rockford. Uh, I grew up on the south side, across the track. We always say the good part of the track, the good side of the track. Um, I'm a uh, full-blooded Sicilian, so I have a lot of uh, myths that I grew up with, and other people kind of look at me and, and say, so you're from south Rockford and you're Sicilian. So um, that, along, along with that came a lot of um, myths about secrecy that no one really believed, but they were really true. Uh, we had a lot of secrets in our family. Um, my mother uh, was, she was very physically, verbally abused as she grew up. And I don't know that my grandfather was an admitted alcoholic, but he owned a tavern, and he was quite angry a lot of times, and there was a lot of things that went on in uh, my mother's family um, that carried into our own family, and one of those things was secret. Uh, we grew up learning and hearing that the walls have ears, so you don't say anything. You say nothing. You don't air anything out. You don't talk about it even to family. Don't bring it up at the dinner table, especially. And so that, uh, that was kind of the beginnings of, of my own personal isolation. And coming from the south side of Rockford, um, I grew up in a neighborhood that you kind of always watched your back on. Um, we, a lot of us played together. 
Uh, there was a lot of diversity in my neighborhood growing up. Um, so you either stuck together or you fought it off on your own, alone. So you, we kind of learned to get along. And, and with that came a lot of mistrust of people. I didn't trust you. If you were nice to me, um, it was because of something. It was because of some reason. You know, what did you want? So, so from a very young age, I grew up not trusting you, thinking you had an agenda if you were even nice to me, and, um, and having secrets. And thinking secrets were okay. I didn't even think I had any secrets, but I knew that if I ever did, I didn't talk about them. And as I grew up, I learned that those secrets would be things that have happened to me or things that may have happened that didn't make me feel good. And somehow internally, I knew that I couldn't talk about them, whatever they were. I couldn't, I couldn't talk about them to you because I didn't trust you in the first place. So I grew up with a lot of secrecy and mistrust and um, uh, a lot of uh, going on my ownness, a lot of toughness, I don't need you. That was kind of the beginning, the start of I don't need you, I can do it myself, you know. Think of our think of our young grandkids. We have a we have a three year old granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter. And she says, "Nana, I can do it myself." And she puts her hands up, and I just go, "Oh boy, <laughs> yes, honey, I know you can." And um, and I can see, you know, how it starts so early, and I internalized that and brought that with me. Um, I grew up with very low self esteem. There was a lot of yelling. Um, <laughs> I saw a scene from a movie not too long ago where there a bunch of people are sitting at a, at a table and um, there's a young couple there and it's his family and so the wife turns to him and she says, why is your family fighting? And he turns to her and he says, they're not fighting. You know, we talk, this is the way we talk all the time. And that's how I grew up. Uh, the one with the loudest voice was the one that got the admiration from everyone. It was kind of a real dysfunctional family thing, but we thought it was kind of cool because, you know, even today my husband says, you're, you're yelling, do you need to yell? And I'm like, I'm not yelling. What am I yelling about? No, oh, honey, that's not yelling. You want to see yelling, I can show you yelling. That's not yelling. And, um, and so I have to, you know, thank God for the program that's allowed me to pay attention to that. And to pay attention, today I can see when my voice goes up, you know, what's going on with me? You know, why did I just raise an octave? Um, you know, I, uh, I I came into the program with so much anger that, you know, I was very loud. <laughs> and I've been told today I'm even still loud. Um, but a lot, of it, a lot of it is from, you know, um, a lot of habit. Um, because I have to be careful that, you know, when my voice raises, people, you know, my husband will say, are you angry? I'm like, I'm not angry. I like to call it passionate. I get a little loud when I'm passionate. So, um, so I have to be careful, and, and I have to really pay attention to that because I can, you know, do it up and active in a heartbeat. But that is the way I grew up, and that's the way I lived most of my life. That's um, why so I lived my whole life, is loud. Um, I was obnoxious. It was extremely inappropriate uh, because I didn't trust you and because I wanted to fit in and be liked. I wanted you to like me, so I learned a little tool called sarcasm. 
horrible character defect I have, which actually came out this evening. I get a little nervous sometimes, and boy, it just it shoots right out. It's just like right there. And then I go, that wasn't very nice. That was inappropriate. You know, there's a different way I can say that today. And thank God that I can say so sarcasm. And, and the courage to want both our books, I think it talks about what sarcasm is and where it comes from. And it means to cause flesh, to tear the flesh. And uh, that's exactly, it did exactly what it is defined to do. And I used it, and I used it every chance I got. And um, I have to be careful today uh, when I'm under stress. If I'm a little nervous, um, I'm scared. If I'm fearful about something, it comes right up here and goes up that quick. Just that quick. So today, again, thank God for the program that I can stop. I can take a breath. I can think. You know, and maybe respond in a different manner. So I hit high school with all of these wonderful traits in my life. I had a good time. I like to have a good time. I like to have fun. And um, went through uh, high school, and it wasn't until I did my fourth step um, that I realized every, every person I ever dated, every male I dated, uh, was um, either an alcoholic or an addict. And that I was floored. I was just shocked. It's like, really? All of them? All of them. Every single one. So for whatever reason um, that I have, and I can zone in on the radar, you know, I don't know why. You know, working the steps helps clear those lines. There was, they were so blurry when I came in. And, you know, we, we talked earlier, it's a program of honesty. And I have to get honest with myself and, and look at, you know, why I do things. Why do I do that? You know, why am I attracted to those people? And, and of course, through the steps, I get to see the exact nature of my mind and realize that for whatever reason, and I can dig as deep as I can go and, and today, up to date have, um, that I, I'm not going to find every single answer, you know, to why I'm the way I am. Um, most of that is because I've lived with alcoholism and I've been severely affected by someone else's drinking. And today that's good enough for me. That pretty much covers me. I've been affected by someone else's drinking. Severely. And permanently. It's not going away. So, by the grace of God, I'll be here forever. Which is a good thing today. I didn't think it was a good thing earlier. In earlier recovery, but... I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I graduated high school and uh, partied for a few years until I met the love of my life. And, um, and he really was, which means he isn't today. So um, uh, we got married. I was, I was pretty young. We got married and, you know, started building the white picket fence one, one picket at a time. Um, and uh, through that, we uh, we were married for some years. Uh, we liked to party. We were the party house. Um, everybody came over. You know, we had all the Super Bowl parties. We had the Friday night parties. We had the potluck parties. We had the for no reason parties. We had all the parties. And I cleaned up after all of them. Um, 
and there was a lot of drinking going on all the time. Uh, it was a way to connect with my husband. Uh, it was a way for me. I, I tried to drink <laughs> as much as what I thought was going on, and it was a way for me to try to connect on, on the only common ground that I could see because values were different, lives were different, we grew up, we kind of, you know, I look back and we kind of grew up and did exactly what we were told. I was told, you know, go out and find somebody that can take care of you, and he was told, you know, go find a good wife that can make you a good home, and we did that. So I was pretty pissed when it didn't work. I was, I was, I was extremely irritated, um, very angry, because it didn't work. It, did, it just didn't work. And that was after about 15 years of marriage um, and two small children later. We had our youngest, um, my son, and when I was pregnant with him, I remember saying, yeah, you know, honey, we're going to have another baby and this has to, this has to really, you know, we got to stop this, you know, because this is getting to be a real problem. And through, you know, the layers and layers of conversations that take place with topics like that, I was told pretty much that I was the one with the problem because everything was fine down the other end. I didn't really know what to do with that, and I eventually divorced. Um, he got the business, I got the house, <laughs> which fell apart after he walked out <laughs> to love. Um, and by the grace of God, I uh, was able to uh, salvage that, and I'm still in that today. That, that, that house has just, you know, served us so well uh, on so many different levels. Um, so while dealing with the pain of my divorce and the pain of my shattered fantasy of uh, the white picket fence, which was slowly dissolving, um, I didn't really think a lot of it. That's what happens. Marriages go. Um, he drinks a lot, and that's the way it goes. A um, couple alcoholics in my life at that time, uh, some other family members along with my husband. The one that really got my attention um, was, at the time, our oldest daughter, our only daughter. Um, my oldest child had started a little journey of her own, and I was beginning to find um, beer cans in her closet and vodka bottles outside her window. And I was beginning to get calls um, from the police that they had uh, were holding her at the mall because she was drunk. Um, and this is at 12 and 13. So she's the one that really got my attention. And, uh, you know, for as sick as I was already at that time, the whole, the whole pity thing about Vinny started. Poor Betty, you know, look at, look at her, look at her daughter, you know, what am I going to do? It's because of the divorce, it's because of her dad, it's because she can't this, and I can't this, and I'm a horrible parent, and I just, what am I going to do? So, I did what, what I always do. I get inappropriately busy. I went back to school. Finished up on some unfinished business I had. Um, so I went back to college, finished up there, took a bunch of classes, um, didn't have a job, out on my own, you know, at 30 something. 
And um, and I have a young son up in the arrears. Dad isn't really around a lot because he's going through his own sorrow. So I'm raising two kids. One of them has a little drinking problem. But don't they all experiment a little bit? You know, she's in, you know, she's in middle school now, and you know, girls do that. I didn't do it that young, but that's okay. See, I had this thing going on that everything had to be okay. If I really looked it in the eye, I didn't have any tools to deal with what I was going to find. You know, what was I going to do if I really confronted the fact that this 13-year-old had a little drinking problem? A little. A little drinking problem. And, you know, what am I going to do with it? So I sat back. It reminds me of the page in our first exchange where it talks about the water drip. It drips and drips and drips and, you know... It took finally, finally did damage before I actually did something about it and addressed it. And so I sat back and hoped she would grow out of it. And that was my plan. She'll grow out of it. And through a series of, um, a lot of law enforcement, um, activities and a lot of Department of Correction visits, paroles, uh, parole, uh, officers, uh, courts, treatment centers. Um, I got to know Northern Illinois very, very well as far as direction, which I didn't know was going to serve me when I got into service work. Which is kind of see how that works. <laughs> when I got into service work, I would go somewhere and I'd be like, oh, that's right down this. I know where that is. Warrenville, if you take this road up here, that's all I knew where a lot, you know, Bloomington, I knew where Chesney, you know, White House, all the, these different places. <laughs> So um, I got a little, I got a little education on the geography of Northern Illinois and a little bit of Southern Illinois, um, and it was just nothing but a roller coaster um, until she uh, went on to bigger and better things, uh, along with drinking. And she, um, she ended up pregnant and actually gave birth to her that beautiful three-year-old. I was was talking about, our three-year-old uh, granddaughter, and as of last year, gave birth to our uh, second granddaughter, um, who is 11 months old. So she's had a, a little journey in between there. On the way, along with going along and um, going to all these places, I had my own journey to go on. And where that got me... Uh, with someone, you know, I started, I started to uh, realize that my life wasn't working. I mean, it really wasn't working. I was snapping at everyone. I was angry everywhere. Put the smile on. You can do that, okay? You know, but don't butt in front of me in the grocery line. Don't do that. Don't part. You know, don't cut me off in traffic. You know, I would, I, I, I had so much anger when I got to the program that I, I would have gotten out of, well, you know, get out. I would argue with you in a heartbeat. I would go face to face. And I knew I was sick, and I knew at some level how inappropriate that was because I would do that no matter what risk that was to myself. You know, if you were 6'5", and he had a, a gun, you know, that you showed me. I'd go right face to face with you, right head to head with you. Be right in your face, swearing, you know, 
really? You want you want to go at it, really? Now, who does that? I mean, that's pretty sick. When I would, for the sake of nothing but my anger and that white rage, lose all sense of safety for myself, lose all sense of appropriateness, lose all sense of my identity, because I'm completely in unreality. And today what I call it is untreated alcoholism, because that's what it is. I am in untreated alcoholism. And that white rage that used to cross me, I, it would consume me. And it was almost like there was no, there was no stopping feeding it. It had to be fed. And even after the incident was over, I would still be angry. Very, very angry. The mere thought of it would bring me to anger, would bring all that anger up. And today, after I got the program, I know what that's called. It's called a resentment. So, um, I have tools today to get rid of that. I have tools today to not even get into that rage. So while all of these things were going on in my life, I, um, I ended up, uh, someone said, there's an Al-Anon meeting. Why don't you go there? What is Al-Anon? I'd never heard of the word. Never, didn't know anything about it. Didn't really know about alcoholism, even though, and it's correct, man, when I look back at it, even though I was working in the field, I was actually, um, had everything I needed to uh, test for um, certification for a drug and alcohol counselor. I worked as a counseling assistant. I worked in the field. I worked at rape crisis centers. I worked at courthouses, you know, the courthouse and did orders of protection. I worked in domestic violence. So my whole background centered around alcoholism and basically addiction. And yet, I couldn't see in my own backyard what was going on. And that, and that told me when I got in the program and started working the steps, it gave me my first glimpse into, into the denial, how sick it really is. I mean, it was right there. I worked in it. I was going to counsel people in, in this arena. But I couldn't admit it. I couldn't admit what was going on in front of me was really going on in front of me. I couldn't, I didn't have the acceptance of what was going on because I didn't have any tools to accept with. So I did go to that Al-Anon meeting, whatever that was. I, I asked, I said, well, what is it? I said, oh, it's for people who live with drugs. That'd be you. Me? I don't know if I consider my daughter drunk. She has a few problems. But I don't know that I consider her an alcoholic. And when I look back at it today, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. And I really didn't know what alcoholism was. And I didn't know what being affected by someone's drinking really meant. You know, what does that mean? I knew how I was, but I wasn't that bad. And that was my term. That was not that bad. You know, it's pretty bad, but it's not that bad. It's not like grand, you know, scheme of things that bad. You know, there's still hope. Maybe she's going to be okay. Maybe she'll grow out of it. And, uh, which today, I love her. She's 27. And, um, today I know that I, I need to stay out of there. I don't know if she's going to grow out of it, grow in it, do anything in it. It's none of my business, not mine. 
not mine. Her sobriety is not mine. I tried to make it mine years ago before I got into the program, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't work. So that is not mine. What is mine today is being in this program. So I went to this thing called Al-Anon, um, my first meeting. I walked in an Al-Anon, regular Al-Anon meeting um, in uh, September of 1998, and sat there in my first meeting. And when, at that time, you know, when we say, is this anyone's first meeting? Somebody always, you know, well, I didn't, because I lied. And, like, we don't know when someone's lying to them. And they slid me a packet, this little thing, <laughs> on the table. And they said, Did you, do you have one of these? And I said, yes, and I slid it back. <laughs> and those good people in there let me lie, let me sit there in this complete sickness, and just loved me. Because they knew. It was the only place that knew. It was the only place that knew. They knew me, and they let me come back which I didn't have any intention of coming back. Because after that meeting, I got into the car, you know, with the person I, I was with, and he's like, well, what'd you think? And I'm like, God, they are the craziest bunch of people I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Glad I'm not that crazy. I know we have a few issues, but it's not that bad. And I also said, and don't we have a great God? that there's a place for these kind of people to go. <laughs> so that gives you just a very small glimpse of the arrogance and and just the the lack of humility on any level of where I was when I came here. I was nothing but a ball of anger when I got here. So I said, yeah, that was real nice. Thanks for taking me. And that was that. And this miraculous thing happened. Um, the uh, uh, next week, it was a Monday night, um, was the meeting I went to, and I can remember clearly, I don't really much, I don't really remember anything else in the meeting other than the last thing I remember is me sliding the packet back, but then I remember being in the car the very next Monday and driving, and I can still see my hands on the wheel, and thinking to myself, what, how am I, how did I get here? Why, I'm going back. I'm driving to my next meeting. And I'm like, I didn't have any plans to do this. But I went. And I have been coming ever since. Which I'm so grateful to say that I have been coming ever since. Um, and this uh, very, very angry woman that walked into these rooms after about, uh, six or seven months, heard that her district needed a district rep. Now, y'all have a little glimpse of how sick I was. M was, M, it's very close, mine's very close. Um, and uh, there was a woman who walked into a meeting that I went to and said, if we don't have a district representative, we are not going to be part of our area. Now, those words meant nothing to me. I had no idea what the district was, what the area was. I didn't know any of that. The only thing that I felt, the way she said it with such urgency, what went through my mind is, Alan is going to be gone. Oh, my God. 
What are we going to do? And I was shocked that no one in that meeting felt this urgency. You know, it's like, are you guys getting it? It's like, Al-Anon's not going to be here. And they didn't, apparently. So I was scared. And, of course, being the, you know, how needed that I always am because I didn't fix it. Um, she said, is there anyone in this meeting that's willing to be district rep? I could probably help out. And the next thing I knew, my arm was being raised and being introduced as the district representative for at the time was District 7A in Rockford. Today we are District 17. And I had eight, maybe eight months, eight, nine months of recovery as a district rep. So if there's any one of you out there that think you can't hold a service position because you haven't been in long enough or you haven't worked all the steps or I just, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm here to tell you <laughs> that um, the applications that go out for service positions are pretty loose. They're, they're just, they're very, very loose. Um, I love our program. We take anyone. It's not competitive. We love you while you do it. I was loved. I was called. I, are you okay? Do you need anything? I didn't get anything. And our mutual friend that we talked about dragged me everywhere. I'm like, she's like, uh, well, there's an, in two weeks there's an assembly. The first time she said that, there's an assembly. She said, so don't make any plans. So it never occurred to me to get irritated with her because she told me what to do, which never would have gone over. The part that was in my head was, what in the heck is an assembly? What is that? And she's like, oh, don't worry about it, you'll see. You'll see. Just don't make any plans, okay? Can you pick me up? Because, you know, that's kind of long, and, you know, I can get a ride, but you need to come. And I um, miraculously, amazingly said, okay. I mean, it just amazes me to this day. Nobody told me what to do. No one told me what to do. And this program doesn't tell me what to do, tells me what what I can do if I want what this program has. If I want the benefits of this program, then there's, there's certain things I have to do. And service work is one of them, because I want every single benefit that this program offers. Because for as sick as I am, I can't, have, I can't halfway do this program. I tried, and I got more miserable while I was in the program, thinking I could work these steps well than I was when I got here. That was a real treat. That was a lot of fun, because now I kind of had a little bit of knowledge of what I'm supposed to do and wasn't doing it. So nobody tells me a timetable. Nobody says you have to work step one in two months. Nobody says you have to have your fourth step inventory done by Christmas. No one tells me that I have to step into a position. They say, why don't you? And they mean it. Why don't you? Why aren't you? Well, why aren't you standing for something? Okay, they do not, but why not? You know, how come? So I have to go back again and go, I don't know, why aren't I? So it's constant questioning. So I was district rep for, um, it took the whole three-year term, didn't know what I was doing. Um, I would ask my sponsor, you know, well, what am I going to say when they do this? They were, they're coming to this district me. I don't even know how to run. Don't worry about it. Service work enhances your program. That was her answer to everything. 
Service work enhances your program. Don't worry about it. I made it to, um, I made it three years, and then I went on to another service position. And then I went on to another one. Because my sponsor said, you never say no to Al-Anon. And there's a whole big controversy and three other open meetings we can use to just, to discuss saying no. Today I know how to say no and what to say no to. And if I'm having a problem with saying no, then I call my sponsor. Then I get on the phone. Then I go to meetings. My sponsor says, you never say no to Al-Anon. And if you never say no to Al-Anon, your life will work in ways that you could never have dreamed up on your own. And doggone it, she was right. And she's still right today. Because Al-Anon doesn't ever ask anything of me that I can't do. Al-Anon and family groups don't say, do this. They say, we would love to have you do this. And if you need some help, we'll help you with it. And here's the people you can call if you need help doing that. And if you're afraid, then you call us for that, too. And if you don't think you can handle it, then you call us for that, too. We'll not only call you back. We'll not only sit on the phone. We'll come to your house. We'll come and pick you up and take you to a meeting. Come to the assembly and you can sit with us. You need a ride? Who can say no to that? And I get love the whole way. Plus, I get the meeting in the car on the way down, and I get one on the way back. I mean, really, what a deal. So today I am chairperson. Amazingly. <laughs> that whole September assembly is still kind of a little blur. Um, and, I, and, and once again, I've been institutions coordinator. I was a district rep, and then I went back and was a group rep. So I still came to the assembly. Uh, institutions coordinator, I was uh, CTC, and then through things that happened, business things that happened with, <laughs> in the area, I ended up being group record secretary, um, and, um, and now today chairperson. So I'm back to, tomorrow's my first assembly, and I'll have a clue what I'm doing. So any of you that are coming tomorrow, please remember what I said tonight, I don't have a clue, you know? I don't know. I have agendas, you know, but I've never run an assembly before. But I have three people sitting with me here that have. I'm going to have probably three, four, or five more that out in the, in the assembly, probably they show up, that have. I'm going to have people say, don't worry about it. We'll just do what we need to do. Oh, that motion isn't right. The wording isn't right. Don't worry about it. Why? Because we have the most forgiving fellowship in the world. Because nobody's going to yell at me because I didn't word the recommendation correctly. And that's how my whole, that's how my whole recovery is gone. When I do these steps, when I study the traditions, when I work the concepts and do service work, I don't only hear that I'm not alone, I get it. I feel it. I don't only intellectually know that. I know it. I know I'm not alone. I know there isn't anything in this program that I could do and not ask for help and not get it. Of course I'm going to get it, because that's what we do. We help. And I'm with a room full of 100 people in this Everybody's going to help me. Who's, who wants to help? Do you need this? Oh my God. Well, if it happens again, you know, call me. Amazing. And I love throughout it. I cannot screw up this program unless I don't come. That's the only way I can screw it up. 
is, is not to come and not to do service work and not to work with steps. I mean, you guys tell me exactly what to do. Because of all this, um, because of all of the tools that you've given me and working all three parts of my program, I am able today to, to follow through on what I thought I was going to do. Horrible, horrible defect of character. It's just terrible. If I didn't like it, couldn't follow through on it, I made up the best excuses and I was out of there. So yeah. That, uh, our second granddaughter that I talked about, the 11 month old, who was 10 months old at the time last month, um, we have inherited her because mom's not fit to take care of her. So my husband and I are caring for her right now. And talk about a little life change. That's been huge. We love her to death. And I don't know if mom's gonna make it or not. I really don't. I, I do not know if mom's gonna make it. Mom's out there. And she's doing the best she can. And Dad is out there, and he's doing the best he can, too. And I have to remember that everyone's exactly where they're supposed to be, whether I think they are or not, or whether I like it or not. Because nobody asked me if I liked it. They didn't ask my opinion. And if I'd given it to them, they wouldn't be doing it anyway. So we have a little one at home. I also love my husband, um, and he doesn't care if I say this. Um, has over 24 years of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. And we are both certain with everything we have that if it worked for Al-Anon Family Group and Alcoholics Anonymous, we would not be able to be here for that little girl. Because we probably wouldn't even be together. We, uh, we ended up, I did remarry, um, after the white picket fence fell apart. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, geez, God, now I had just been in the program not very long, well, longer than eight months, but after um, I was just a drop. And then I got married, so that's what I do. And I remember saying, geez, God, really? Another alcoholic? I know he's in recovery, but is this the best I can do? Really? And I remember thinking, man, I remember telling my sponsor that if I was, like, always going to be around drunks, always, not that that's a thing, okay, but, um, but, but, but I have, and I've told him this before, uh, but I, I do remember saying that, and I remember thinking that, and it scared me, because I just come working, you know, all these steps, and seeing the exact nature of my wrongs, and making my amends, you know, and then, you know, do, working all, everything, and doing service work, and it scared me to die. But thank God for my program, because I couldn't do anything without it. Nothing at all. Um, today, I am here to tell you that there are no more crises. There's not one single crisis in my life. There's a lot of challenges, and there's a lot of tears. They're not so often, but that's okay if they are. You know, I pick her up, I think of mom, you know, while I'm holding her, I get a little tear, and I go, thanks for taking care of her, God. Thanks a lot for taking care of her, and thanks for taking care of me. Because I know today with this program that there isn't anything in my life that I can't handle. With bottom, bottom of uh, one of our pages, Encourage to Change, says, I am equal to what life presents when I have 12 steps and the 12 traditions, and most importantly, meetings, sponsors, 
I have to work all parts of this program, or I don't work. I don't work. I accomplish nothing. I spin that wheel. My sarcasm flies up. I'm not a very pretty person when I'm angry, and I don't want to be that way anymore. And today, for the first time, I have the desire not to be that way. You know, that was that was a real good isolation tool because it kept you away from me. And, and I knew exactly what to use if I didn't want you. If I didn't want you right here, I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what to say and exactly how to say it. Today, I don't have to do that. Today, if you come up to me, I can walk up to you and extend a hand. I can walk up to you and extend a, and extend a hug. And I can get the love that God's put in my life, but only because I work this program. And I didn't come up with any of it. So I'm so grateful today to say that my life is wonderful. I have a really sweet life. I really do. Some challenges, but boy, it sure isn't as bad as it could be. Not near as bad as it could be. So I'm very, very grateful to be here. I'm very glad to, to let you all know um, that my wonderful life is due to the program. It's all because of the Al-Anon family groups all because of Al-Anon. So I'm very grateful to be here. Thanks for listening to me, and I will pass it back.